Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Today, I'm, man, I'm so glad that you're here because uh, we have one of our, our mentors, one of our spiritual fathers. We call him an anchor in this house. Uh, when we planted this church and established this church, there were four people that I asked my dad and Todd Turnbow and Nathan and Bishop Jamie to be an anchor. What that means is when I get out of line, uh, you can call them. And they have access to me. They can speak into me. And they're also a sounding board for me to scream and cry and and throw fits, whatever I need to, uh, to them. But I appreciate so much that stability and the backing. Um, I've known Bishop for over 20 or 20 years now. And uh, I knew his kids when they were little bitty. And now they're growing up and married. And one of them is. And and. And so it's just been a lifelong journey that we've had, and we've walked uh, out our salvation. I've, I've learned a lot just looking and studying and growing. And so I appreciate so much this man and, and what he means to me. And so I've given him access to speak into this house. And so I just pray this morning that you open your heart, and I know that he has a, a really powerful word for you this morning. So would you welcome uh, my buddy, my friend, Mr. Jamie Englehart. Thank you, Pastor Jared. Uh, it is good to be here with you. I always look forward to getting back down to Texas to be with some of our Texas family. And uh, <clears throat> I want you to know, man, we love you guys. We believe in you. Love the whole team here. And I've been able to, uh, really uh, an honor to be able to be here from the beginning and kind of see the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, that is part of any time you get humans together. You know, people that are looking for a perfect church where I have to agree with everything going on there. Listen, you ain't going to get married. You know, if you feel like that you have to agree with everybody on everything all the time, good luck in your marriage because you got two people from two different families, from two different mindsets come together, and you have to learn how to walk together. That's that's what that's what this that's what community is all about. Community says we put relationship before dogma, and and, and if you don't put relationship before dogma, then then that, that, that it's just gonna it's gonna kick stuff to the curb so quick. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons, and uh, I know many of you have already got our stuff in the past, but one of the reasons that I wrote my book on myths and mistranslations and so many things that have been misunderstood in Scripture and in church and in the kingdom is because, to be honest with you, uh, now with 29 years of traveling full-time, literally all over the world, the one thing that has constantly been a, a bit of a frustration to me is how many uh, especially Western evangelicalism, that we have produced more Biblians than we have Christians. Uh, we, we, we have people, you know, the word Satan means accuser, adversary, the, the, the accuser. And so, you know, any time we become accusatory, we're actually doing the work of the Satan. 
because he is the accuser of the brethren. But let me go even further. Anytime you use scripture to accuse someone, you made scripture a Satan. The scriptures were never made to accuse humans. It was made to speak life into humans. It was at times to bring conviction and transformation. Never accusation. And it's amazing how we have all of this, I call it old, I call it old McDonald theology. Here a verse, there a verse, everywhere a verse, verse. And people will throw all these verses at you out of context, out of understanding. And, and Because listen, you know, I can take the Bible and make it mean whatever I want. I mean, listen, today if I just decided, listen, I love my wife, but I think I'd like a couple more. I can go find a bunch of Bible verses to prove that polygamy is okay because it's in the Bible. Matter of fact, I remember when the whole gay marriage debate came out and people were going all over Facebook. They're like, the Bible is clear. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And I, I told some folks, have you read the Bible? <laughs> marriage is clear between men. Man, most of the Old Testament was polygamy. I mean, the wisest man that ever lived had 900 women. I don't see an ounce of wisdom in that on any level. Dear God, man, I've been trying to keep one happy for 29 years. Can't imagine 900 women. Man, you've lost your mind if you're trying to keep all them ladies happy, uh, let alone that they'd be okay with it. You know, I mean, I mean there, listen, there, there's some backwoods stuff in the Bible. You know, I, I mean, think about it. I mean, Abram, Abram gets a promise from God that he's going to have a promised seed that's going to literally transform nations and bless the nations. And 28 years, 27, 28 years later, his wife don't get pregnant, so she's like, hey, I, I, I'll give you my girl. You know, I mean, you know, you know that Abraham was like, uh, is this a test? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know what crazy woman is going to say, hey, you know, listen, I couldn't, I couldn't give you a baby, so I'm just going to give you my girlfriend here, uh, and, and you can go ahead and knock her up. Listen, there's some crazy stuff. There's, there's some crazy stuff in there, and 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 at times, what we what we, we tend to do is, is misunderstand the meanings, misunderstand the culture. And so, you know, one, one of the reasons I wrote this book is because the modern evangelical world has produced more minions than they have sons. All creation is groaning for a manifestation of mature sons. Listen, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, this earth is groaning right now for the body of Christ to grow up into sonship and not sit around as little minions and just come an hour a week punch the clock, throw a little money in, make themselves feel good so they can go to heaven. This thing's so much bigger than that. This thing is about, this thing is about a kingdom revolution, and it's literally about bringing heaven to earth. And if we don't start to get that thing down pat, then we're just going to continue to do all of our little church stuff. And all of our little church stuff is going to constantly lead to, rather than people maturing and growing, people constantly staying little babies. Huh? And listen, I don't need people to even agree with all my premises, man. I love when people actually disagree with me, and then we can sit and we can have a discussion because that's how you grow. Come let us reason together. I don't, I don't, I don't produce minions. Matter of fact, these guys that are connected to me, they know, uh, you know, me giving oversight to a church simply means that I'm here to support what God told you to do, not what God told me to do. And, and I'm going to challenge your theology, absolutely, but you don't have to agree with it for us to be in fellowship. I've got people connected to me. We've got different eschatology. We've got different ecclesiology. We've got different soteriology. But, but you know what? What we agree on is the most important things, and what we agree on is Christ, him crucified. We agree on the resurrection. We, we agree on the important stuff. And a lot of the other stuff is just stuff that just tends to get us off focus. And so I, I really want to encourage you, if you want to be challenged, because I learned a long time ago, many times truth, before it changes you, it angers you. 
Because when you've been taught something your whole life and you find out that what you were taught was either wrong or partially not full, what you tend to do at times is in our cognitive dissonance, we tend to either fight it, we argue with it, uh, we, 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 we run from it, and, and, and rather than actually grow through it. And I made up my mind a long time ago. My name Jamie, James. James means truthful. Everything about me is, I've always longed for truth from the time I was a little child. That's why I drove my parents crazy with questions. I mean, it never worked for me. I asked my dad a question. He's a pastor. I asked him a question. He'd say, well, because the Bible says so. I'm like, well, why does the Bible say that? You know, it's like, well, you need to do this. Why? Because I said so. Well, you know, could you give me some explanation? I was a millennial before millennials were around. (laughs) And And I love, I love that we're living in the information age and people aren't just swallowing everything that comes down the pike. They actually can go study it for themselves. Be a good Berean. Man, get, get stuff that challenges you. You, you know, there, there, there was a curse that American Indians would speak over someone. To their, in their mind, the greatest curse they could speak over a human was that you may always stay in the same place. That, that in their mind was the worst thing they could curse you with, that they would curse you with stagnation that you would stop growing, that you would be satisfied in your understanding and you wouldn't increase in knowledge and understanding. And I I made up my mind a long time ago, I'm not going to be the person that just stays there. I'm going to always, always be the one desiring for truth, learning more, desiring more. You know that the Bible even says we'll ever be learning? Do you know that when you get to heaven, you don't just arrive and know everything? You'll ever be learning. You, 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 we only use a certain portion of our brain as it is now. I remember years ago, my mama in the faith, she asked the Holy Spirit, she said, Lord, she said, how come, how come that the smartest people only still don't even use the full capacity many times of the brain? And she said, why'd you give us this brain that's not completely fully activated? And he said, eternity. Why? Because you'll ever be learning. That's why the angels fly around the throne and every time they get around, they're like, Holy. Holy, they see another part of God they never saw before. He is omnipotent. He's full of potential. He's omnipresent. He's, he's, he's a God you're never going to get bored with. I don't know about you, but thank God for that. I don't want to just get to heaven and say, hey, man, I know everything now. I'm just going to chill forever. I mean, we're going to constantly be learning, constantly be growing. And if we don't learn how to be good students here, we're going to get really frustrated when, when we get there. Come on, you hear me? Listen, that's why, that's, be, be a good student of the word. I encourage you, check that out. Uh, it'll be a blessing to you. There's some rich stuff in there. And, and let me just say this. One, one, one thing I love about your leadership here, I, I love their heart and their passion for truth. Uh, and, and I love, and, and listen, today, today I'm going to probably give you the most simple message I've ever preached here. All right, today's going to be just pure encouragement. Listen, there's, there's a, I don't know if you sense it, but there's a freedom in here right now. And listen, I'm, 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 I sense it during the worship. I'm like, I'm going to have fun this morning. I can tell already. And, and we're just going to encourage you. We'll shout a little bit, and, and we'll head out, all right? But I, I want to just say this, especially about the scriptures. I, I, you know, I have a bunch of USBs back there. Many of you in the past have purchased those USBs. But the blue one especially is how to understand the Bible, how to properly interpret it, how to uh, understand the difference. This is one thing we misunderstand when it comes to the Bible or scriptures, is that interpretation is completely different than, than, than even just revelation. Uh, there's more than 300 figures of speech in the Bible. The reason your pastors are bringing up Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and context is because they want to properly interpret the scriptures. Now, let me show you the difference. This is what happens to us sometimes uh, when we hear people teach like that. I mean, I've had people, when I got done teaching, they're like, oh, my God, man, why even read the Bible? I ain't going to be able to understand it anyway. 
I mean, for heaven's sakes. I mean, I mean, if I've got to have a concordance and I've got to have this and I've got to have that, why, why even read it? It's because in our personal devotions, when you're reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit can speak something to you that has nothing to do with the meaning of it. Because, because this, that this thing is still alive. It's something stirring you. And so the Holy Spirit, in your personal devotions, you'll read something, and God will take something so far out of context, it's ridiculous, to be able to minister to your spirit that morning. The problem is if you go try to preach that is the meaning. You understand the difference? See, there's only one meaning to every passage. We, we have 40, well, nearly 40,000 denominations and movements. Each one thinks their interpretation is the meaning, but there's only one interpretation. The interpretation is what did it mean to the original audience? If I wrote you a letter in 2019 and someone read it in 2419, I use language of 2019 that is totally different than language of 2419. They're not going to be able to interpret what it actually meant to me, me writing it to you 400 years later unless they go back and understand the language of 2019. We, we have different euphemisms. I mean, I mean, just think about this. All right, think about this. 50 years ago, if you walked in the door of a church with a smile on your face, someone would greet you and say, you look gay today. I mean, no, we normally don't say that anymore. All right, it has a different connotation. All right, because there's different language with every culture, different understanding. I love to use this example. Years ago, I was hearing a preacher I highly respected, and he had, he had got sick and was dying with a heart disease. The doctor told him he had like eight months to live. And so he went, and man, he got prayed for by everybody he knew, and then he went and got prayed for by people he didn't even like. Uh, you know, this was like back in the 80s. I mean, he went to a Benny Hinn crusade, and Benny was blowing on everybody and throwing his coat, and he didn't even agree with it. But you get sick enough, you're like, blow on, man. You know, it's just, you throw your coat at me, and I get up well, I don't care. Just, <laughs> just breathe, brother, breathe. But he said about six months into it, he's literally nearly on his deathbed, and he opens up his Bible one morning, and he's reading the Psalms, and David said, oh God, my heart is fixed. He looked at it, he read it again, and it said, oh God, my heart is fixed, and the Holy Spirit said, your heart is fixed. Now, it has nothing to do with that. That passage has nothing to do with your actual heart getting fixed. What it's saying is that you, my focus is on you. That my, I'm, 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 it, it, Maybe it's where you Texans got, I'm a fixing to. Because I don't know how you affix to anything. But anyway, just I'm, a, I'm living in nearly Kentucky right now, so I guess I need to start saying affixing to because I'm in the south now. He gets up and he goes out and he starts mowing the lawn. His wife comes home and she says, what are you doing? You're on your deathbed. He said, you don't understand. God told me my heart's fixed. He took her inside, showed her the passage. She says, it don't mean that. He said, it did today. But you see, the problem is then if you go try to take that passage and you try to teach it as the meaning when it's not a meaning. There's only one meaning, but there's many applications. Every generation has an application. Listen, truth is like an onion. The more you peel it, the more layers you find. There's prophetic revelation. There's understanding. It's just when you try to take something that doesn't mean that, and you make it the meaning. There's only one the meaning, but you can say, now, how does this apply to us today? And man, it applies in a plethora of different ways. Does this making sense to anybody? That's why, listen, read the scriptures, gobble the scriptures up, man. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you, whatever you need for that day. But, but then when you come and gather together in the sanctuary, we don't want to just hear what, what, what experience you had. You can add to that, but we want you to interpret the meaning of the passage. Come on, someone help me. See, that, 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 that's the part that I think much of the church gets very confused about. 
and then then we either just throw it all away. We're like, man, why even try? Why even read? Because you got to have you got to have a master's degree to figure this thing out. And it's like, no, you don't. You can just read the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Uh, but but we do need, according to Ephesians four, we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to not only equip us for the work of the ministry, but to be able to help ground us in doctrine. That's why it's not just you, Jesus, in your Bible to understand it. There's a reason God gave the gifts is because we all need each other. So anyway, that's my sermonette for the morning. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Mark, please. Let me get to my assignment for today. The book of Mark, chapter and number 6. I'm going to start in verse 45 of Mark 6. Anyway, my blue series back there, there's 14 hours on how to do all that. There's some fun stuff in there. I encourage you to stop back see me at the table. Mark 6, starting verse 45. Immediately, speaking of Jesus, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when the evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea. Everybody say the middle. The boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they, thinking he was a spirit, cried out, For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through that whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he entered into, villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well or were made whole. Now, th- th- this, this passage of Scripture, let me uh, just share with you a little bit of kind of where it came from me, in me. Back about, uh, well, man, it's been 12 years ago now because I, I turned 52 back here in June. And when I turned 40 years old, uh, th- th- there's something that happens to us. We're, we're all on a journey, and we're all on different stages of the journey. I, I have a good friend, and he makes a statement all the time. He said, one thing we need to remember is that when 3 million Israelites came out of, 3 million Hebrews came out of Egypt, and went into the wilderness, the people at the front of the line were experiencing things completely different than the people at the back of the line. I mean, you know, the people at the front of the line, they were the ones that got to dig the first holes for the outhouses. Sometimes we don't think about three million people out on a camping trip. And let me tell you, by the time you got to the end of the line, it smelled totally different than the people that were at the front of the line. (laughs) All right, let me just... I mean, I mean, you, you had some, that, that, that's, why, that's why there's a passage, I think it's in Exodus, where God gives them actually direction, and he gives these directions. He said, now listen, when you're out here wandering around and you're out walking around, he told the men, he said, I want you to go and I want you to build these little pooper scoopers on, 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 actually on your shield. And he said, whenever you have to, I love the King James, whenever you have to ease thyself, sometimes the King James just explains it better than anything else. Whenever you have to ease thyself, go outside the camp, dig a hole and ease thyself abroad. I don't know what ease thyself abroad is, but... It sounds interesting. I think Tim the Tool Man Taylor would have enjoyed it. I don't. 
But all of us on this journey, we're at different stages. We're at different parts of development. We're at different ages. We're at different understanding. And what happens many times is when we're, when we're at those different stages, we put a focus uh, like much of the American church, which is more Greek thought, Greeks put their focus on the destination where Hebrews put their, des- their focus on the journey. That the point is what you're going through in the journey and what you're learning, not just getting to the other side and getting to the destination, even though that's all good and we're all going somewhere. But the point is, how are you traveling in the journey? And we all love to go somewhere new. We all love new stuff. We love new cars. We love new clothes. We love to get a new house. We we like new projects. We love the new because there's an excitement with the new. How many know we like to start new things? And we like to finish stuff. But what happens in the middle is normally the struggle. I, 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 love, I, I love starting a church. I love starting churches. I love the excitement. I love the passion. I love finding the venues. I love laying the foundation. But then all of a sudden you get in the middle and somebody got to pastor this thing. And I'm like, I'm ready to go start another one. And somebody needs to come in here and take care of this. Because, I mean, I'm good at starting. I'm not a manager. I don't do good at managing all the poo. Anyway, in the middle, I do good. I'll dig the ditch. All right, I'll dig the, I, 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 I'll make everything ahead of time. I, I like to be that, that apostolic grace of me being the one out front. But then there's all the stuff that happens on the journey. And what do we do when we get in the middle? There's, you know, these disciples, Jesus sent them on a journey. And he said, the journey is I want you to go to a place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is translated house of fish. In other words, he said, the destination of the journey and what you'll experience in the journey ultimately is for you to find a house of fish because I've called you to be fishers of men. What I want is I want to use you to have your own house of fish, not just find a house of fish. That, that, that means individually, each of us, we are on this journey. Now, we know that, that contextually, they were just on an actual journey going somewhere. And on the other side, there was a bunch of sick. There was a bunch of infirm. That's why Jesus said, I did not come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. For some reason, in our church world, especially in the Bible Belt, most of our churches are coming for the righteous and not the unrighteous. That's why most of our church visions is how do we reach people from other churches? How do we get some more tithe payers in here? How do we get more workers in here? And how many get more people in? Rather than actually having a heart to say, I want to actually reach the infirm and the sick and the bound. I'm actually looking for the unrighteous because it's the sick that need a physician and not the well. Most of the church, we spend most of our time putting our focus. I've asked pastors for years, tell me a little bit about your vision. And the moment they start telling me about everything they're doing to try to get more people in their building, I know right there that it's a Western culture mentality because a message of the kingdom is how do we send our people out there? It's how do we go out and be salt and light? See, part of the problem is, and in, in, in a lot of, and listen, I, you know, I travel in a lot of different arenas, but man, nothing worse than something getting too salty. I mean, I mean, you ever, like, you get that, those two or three fries that seem to get all the salt in the bag, and you pop them in your mouth. It's, I mean, salt is good when it's proper, when it's too salty. I mean, you grab that one potato chip, and it's just covered in salt, and it's just like, sometimes I think we gather together, and we just keep salting each other. 
We get saltier and saltier and saltier. And if we're not out in the world, salt loses its savor when it's not out where it's supposed to be savoring. See, we all, we all get on this journey of life, and we love the beginning stages. There, there's a reason why it's called a midlife crisis. There, there's a reason why that all kinds of things happen when you get in, when you get in the middle. And I remember, I think I might even have shared this story here a few years ago, but my daughter and her husband, they bought their, their first house to live in. They bought like three rentals. And they bought their first house to actually live in. And they paid cash for it, got it at an auction. Had a ridiculous deal on it. I mean, ridiculous deal. But someone had redid the whole outside and gutted the inside and then lost it. And so everything they wanted to do, now they had a blank slate to do it. And so I got uh, volunteered as the project manager. Because my daughter and son-in-law, of course, they were working five days a week. And when I'm on, when I'm on the road, I'm extremely busy. But then when I come home, uh, you know, there, there's times that I can do different stuff. And it just happened to be that I was scheduled for like a year and a half out. I'd spent a lot of time in the office. And I actually had just a couple months where I didn't have to do a lot at home. And so my daughter is like, Dad, uh, you know, would you make sure that the electricians all get there and the drywallers? Because people tend to do what you say because they're a little afraid of your voice. <laughs> just... The scratchy voice of mine. It's like, I remember I did a whole series at our church in Michigan on love, and, and, and one, of the, one of the young guys, a former gangbanger and Latin king, James, he comes up to me, he puts his arm around me, he said, Pops, I'm feeling the love, but when it comes out of that scratchy voice, it don't sound real loving. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, son. God didn't give me one of them radio voices that just sounded, he didn't give me a Tony Fitzgerald voice. It just, you just, you, you, you hear a man that's got this gentle voice, and then he's Australian on top of it, and you just want to climb up in his lap and snuggle him. I didn't get that one. I got Wolfman Jack. That's. <laughs> but I, I, we got it started, and the first week is a blast. I mean, it's chip gains. Demo day. I mean, everybody loves demo. I mean, I mean, you're in there, man. We're ripping some, pl- we're ripping plaster off and knocking walls. And we're like, I'm a man. This is fun. And 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 until you know, like two days later, we were sick for three days because the plaster had like 50 years of nicotine in it. And we're, <coughs> I mean, we're like coughing for three days. But but the first month, man, the first week's exciting. Everything's happening. But then, then you get in the middle of the project, and it's like drywall's not up yet, and stuff's a mess, and the place looks all tore up because they're doing all the behind the scenes. They're doing they're doing the plumbing and they're doing the electrical, and and you're waiting, and you're just it's not you know when the drywall finally gets up, you're like oh you know I finally feel like something's done. And we got in the middle of the project. We started in February. We get to the end of March. I called my daughter. I said, listen, I'm coming home in two days, and when I come home, I'm not gonna be at your house this next week. I'm sick of your house. I'm tired of your house, okay? I, I, I mean, we're going to make sure stuff gets done. I'm just telling you, I need a break from your house because you get in the middle of it and you feel like giving up. You get in the middle and it didn't happen as quick as you got and everybody didn't get there when they were supposed to get there and how come the drywaller didn't, wasn't here today? He was supposed to be here three days ago and how come this didn't get done? And you get frustrated in the journey. You get frustrated and you get disappointed and after a while you just... I remember when I turned 40 years old and my, my family told me on my 40th birthday that we were going to go to Mackinac Island. 
Mackinac Island is a is really a world famous island up in northern Michigan. You actually take a boat out to it, and it's about a half hour out there. And it's an island where there's nothing uh, like gas operated. It's all bikes and carriages. You go back to like the 1880s. It's a really cool place, known for their fudge and their shops, and there's bed and breakfast and everything else. But my family informed me on my 40th that's where we were going to go because, you know, it stops being about you once you have kids. <laughs> like big time. All selfishness must go out the door when you become a parent. And so we get on the island. We'd been there two or three times before, and my family decided this time, they're like, we want to do something we've never done, and we want to get bikes, and we want to bike all the way around the outskirts of the island. And, you know, I was like, okay, no problem. You know, I'm, I'm turning 40. I'm still young. And, and I, I thought it was seven miles. It's like 19. And I decided rather than get the bike that's got the nice, fat, comfy, cushy seat, I wanted to be cool. And so I got the bike with a little crotch rocket. You know, that little itty-bitty seat that looked cool. And I mean, literally, we got about five miles into it, and I was raw. I mean, I, I get off the bike, and I was like, I mean, I was in pain. I was hurting. It wasn't cool at all. And we got halfway around, and it dawned on me. If we go back, it's the same distance. If we go forward, it's the same distance. And there was no trail in between. And I'm like, can somebody bring a helicopter? Literally thought I was about to die. I got in the middle, and I got weary. I got tired. I was ready to give up in the middle, and finally my daughter, she said, listen, Dad, I'll trade you. And so I grabbed, I grabbed the girl bike. I mean, the one that was sloped down. I didn't even care by that time. It had a nice big fat seat. I didn't care if it had a banana seat on it. <laughs> by that time, I'm good. I don't care how cool it looks or uncool it looks. I'm in pain. I was in pain for three days. I mean, just hurting, man. I mean, it looked like it looked like I'd come down to Texas and rode a horse for two hours and never rode one before. <laughs> it was ridiculous. See, we love, we love the new. We love to start. We love to get going, man. When God gives you that word, and He says, "Man, I've got this business for you," and you're you're passionate because God said it. And you're excited about it. And God said, I've got a destination for you. And the purpose for the destination ultimately is to be a blessing to other people. It's not just to bless you. It's to be a blessing to those over in Bethsaida because there's a house of fish that I've got for you to minister to because I want you to learn some things on the journey so that when you get there, there's something that you're going to bring to them. But then you get out on the journey and things didn't happen the way you thought and how you thought. And you thought, by now I thought, you know, God gives you a word that says you and your house are going to be saved and I'm going to transform your family. And you're like, yeah, God's going to transform my family. And so you begin to pray for them and they all get worse. They get crazier rather than better. Two years go by, nothing's changed yet. Everything is still going in the same direction. And you're like, God, I thought you said this. And on the journey, you start to get discouraged and you get disappointed and or maybe you started walking with God and you thought walking with God meant that you'd have no problems because somewhere you heard a wrong gospel. Maybe you thought walking with God meant tiptoeing through the tulips and everything now was going to be hunky-dory when actually God promised that you'd have some problems. He promised that you would have some 
trials and some troubles, but he also says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That means I'm empowering you, no matter what you go through, that you're going to be okay in the midst of it. Even when you get in the middle of the storm and, and you're out there and you feel like I'm not there, I'm still there because what discouragement and disappointment does is it causes us to try to forget his presence. Everybody say presence. Say the truth is he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there. I love what we sang. Even when I don't see it, he's moving. Even when I don't feel it, he's moving because it's easy to look at circumstances. In the middle of the circumstances, we start to think, God, are you even here? Are you even around? And listen, if you've walked with God for any amount of time at all, I guarantee you, if you haven't experienced it, you will. There's going to come a time where you're just going to be like, God, I just feel like I'm in a season. I've had people for years come to altars, and they've asked me to pray for them. And I said, what do you need to pray for? They're like, man we're, just, man, we're just going through such a dry season right now. And I tell them, I understand what you're saying, but let me just say this. There's no such thing as a dry season to a believer because Jesus said, if you drink the water I give, you'll never thirst again. The only reason you're dry is because you believe a lie that you can be dry. You go through trials, you go through troubles, you go through situations, but dry, you've got an artesian well on the inside of you. This is not about whether you're dry. You're only dry because you believe a lie that you can be dry. Oh, good teaching, brother. Hallelujah. Hmm? Uh, See, we go through, all of us have been through those seasons. The disciples get out in the middle of the storm, and it says when they got in the middle, everybody say middle. Listen, when they got in the middle, they start straining at rowing. This is where we try to work it out ourselves. We try to get ourselves out of the situation. We try, we try, to, we try to get her done. Hmm? And this is when we stop relying on his grace. And we rely on our rowing and our straining. And we've all experienced it. And some personalities, it's harder with. Probably one of my, some of my greatest lessons as a, as an almost 100% choleric A personality, I am Mr. Get Her Done. And I've had to learn to take my hands off the oars and just say, God, if you don't do it, I'm going to be as diligent as I know how to do. I'm going to do everything that you've told me to do, but there's some things I have to take my hands off the oar and just trust because sometimes we get in the middle of situations. We get in the middle of our marriage. We get in the middle of our family. We get in the middle of a business. We get in the middle of a new venture. We get in the middle We get in the middle of things, and we're rowing, and we're rowing, and we're just much to do about nothing. We're out in the middle of the journey, and we're just going in circles, and we're spinning. You ever felt like that? Like, God, I mean, what, what's going on anyway? I mean, we just... You just feel like we're out here just spinning in the middle of this whole thing. I mean, when, when are we going to get to the other side? And then we forget that, God, have you left us? Have you forgot about us? And he's like, I'm a very present help in time of trouble. See, I think it's amazing that Jesus always tended to be in the middle of stuff. He was always in the middle of the crowd. He was, there's no accident he was in a middle cross. He wasn't, he wasn't at the cross on a right or a cross on a left. He was, he was in the middle because the Lord our God in the midst of us is mighty. He will save. He'll bring salvation, wholeness, completeness, healing, deliverance. That's what the word salvation means. And how many of you know you don't need none of that for heaven? 
You don't need to be delivered in heaven. You need deliverance now. You don't need healing in heaven. You need to be healed now. You don't need wholeness over yonder. You need wholeness now. Salvation is not about the afterlife. It's about this life. We put a whole focus on the, uh, I preached that last year. We, We put a whole focus on salvation being about the afterlife, and that's not the point. The point of salvation is what you receive here in the now, in this life, because I don't need none of what salvation means, sozo and soteria. I don't, I don't need none of that when I get to heaven. I need all that right now. See, I think for too long we've taught people all about the sweet by and by and not taught them how to live in the nasty now and now. And right now, I need to know what do I do when I get in the middle of situations? What, what do I do when I feel like giving up? What do I do when I get discouraged and I, I, I go through bouts of depression? What, what do I do when I get in the, in the middle of a situation and I'm busy straining, I'm doing everything I know to do, and it seems like nothing is working? What do I do? First of all, man, don't forget his presence. His presence is always there. You're in union with him. You don't go in and out of his presence. I, I love Romans 10 in this. I remember several years ago I was invited to do a conference and, and it was kind of a stream of the body that I, I, I don't really flow in very much. I mean, I kind of go in and out of all kinds of different streams and moves. But uh, the service starts in the first 20 minutes. There was a bunch of young people with mics up front, and they're all praying. And, and you know, they're like Jews at the Wailing Wall. You know, they're praying like this. And they're like, oh, God, rend the heavens and come down. Oh, God. I mean, I mean, pretty much every prayer. Then we had an hour of worship, and every song was about God opened the heavens, dropping down out of the sky. I mean, man, just begging God to show up. And I'm, I'm in the front row, and I'm having this discussion with the Holy Spirit because I can't even read the passage of Scripture I'm going to read because it rebukes everything they just did the last hour. <laughs> I mean, not even me preaching, just reading a New Testament passage. And I'm going, God, you know, I mean, I don't really want to do this. I mean, I like friends, you know, I mean, I... I like when people like me. I don't like on purpose just try to tick people off. I mean, I just, <laughs> I'm like every other human. And so I, I got up and I made this statement. I said, I said, first of all, I said, man, when I was sitting here during worship, it became clear as a bell to me, the ruling spirit over this region. This was a warfare conference. I'm like, how many of you want to know what the ruling spirit over this region is? They were like, you know, they were waiting for me to say Jezebel. They're waiting for me to say, you know, Gog and Magog and Molech. I said, are you ready? The Holy Spirit. And you could have heard a pin drop. It's like folks got mad at me for saying Jesus is Lord. Got mad at me for saying the devil has been rendered powerless, according to Hebrews 2, and principalities and powers have been completely spoiled. And and why are we re-empowering disempowered spirits? And then I opened up and I read Romans chapter 10. And Romans 10 says this, the righteousness that is of faith does not say, I will ascend to heaven and bring God down here or descend into the deep and bring him up. But the word is nigh you, even in your mouth. In other words, he's as close as the mention of your name. Because you are in union with him and you are as Jesus is, you don't have to beg God to come down into your situation. He's already there. He's a very present help in time of trouble. He he is the one that doesn't run from you. He's right there in the midst of it. That's why when you read this story in Luke, I love the passage in Luke, they head out to the other side, they get out in the middle of the storm, and Jesus is at the back of the boat, and he's sleeping in the back of the boat. He's resting a typhoon. 
typhoon comes up and they're trying to bail themselves out. They finally wake Jesus up and they're like, come on, man, you're sleeping. Now, can't you even stay awake when we're in trouble? And they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? It's not that God doesn't care what we're going through. He's just at rest in it because he knows his presence is always there regardless of what you're going through. He doesn't run from our storms. He runs towards our storms. He's right there. But see, when we go through certain things on our journey, we don't feel them the way we once felt them. We don't at times hear them the way that we once maybe heard them. And in the midst of all that, I think think there's times all of us go through Elijah moments. Elijah was a prophet of God who knew God's voice, but he had to come to one place where God had God had to send a wind to blow everything away. He had to send an earthquake to shake everything up and send a fire to burn everything out so he could finally hear God's voice in a new way. So sometimes God will God will just send. It says God, God wasn't in the wind, but it was in his wake. Because it says the Lord passed by. That means the Lord passed by and everything that followed him was a wind, a shaking, and a fire. But it was all to get Elijah to a place that he could hear in a fresh manner. Because there's times God's got to blow some old religious ideas off of you. He's got to shake up the things that you thought were foundation. Because he said everything that can be shaken will be shaken in his kingdom. And he said sometimes he's just got to burn some things out of you in order for you to get to a place that you hear in a fresh dimension. So that his voice becomes alive and it becomes real to you. See, if I can always remember that his presence is always with me, and when I open my mouth, man, we sang it. You guys set this up really well. We sang it. We, we prophesy. We just open our mouth. Something is an incredible, the kingdom of God is voice activated. A lot of times we forget to open our mouth and say, why? Because the word is living in you. And when you open your mouth, you want to see a manifestation of his presence. Open your mouth. Don't caete la boca. Open la boca. I didn't know the Spanish, I didn't know the Spanish word for open. I missed that one. I only know the bad words, but anyway. My granddaughter would say, Papa, that's a bad word. I mean, someone could cuss. You don't even see that as a bad word. But you say shut up, she's like, Papa, that's a, don't you say shut up. That's a bad word. I'm sorry, baby. You're right. Well, little ones love to correct you, don't they? They just get right after you. See, I not only need to know when I get in the middle of the storm and I get at times discouraged and I get disappointed, fear then begins to set in. I not only have to remember his presence, but I have to remember the promise. See, the promise was you're going to the other side. I want you to hear this. He never promised the boat was going. (laughs) He said, you're going. See, sometimes the business fails. Sometimes the thing you're in actually doesn't go through, but you get there. Because what God is concerned about is you. He's not concerned about all that other stuff. Sometimes I think we get all caught up. We're like, oh, my gosh, my world is falling apart because this thing didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. And God's like, listen, man, that's, that's a little glitch on the journey. And, and, and realize you didn't fail. You learned a lesson. So now you can begin to go to that next place because I've got something for you greater. It's never less. It's always more with me. Stop freaking out. 
I've got you. If I said you're going to the other side, it doesn't matter if the ship goes or not. If the ship sinks, I'll cause you either to float to the other side, I'll either cause a fish to swallow you and spit you on the other side, or I'll cause you to walk on water and get you to the other side. But if I said you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. Hmm? Listen, exchange, you're going to the other side. God has given this house a promise, and you're going to head on through. It doesn't matter what happens on the journey. There's a destination because this house is called not just to exchange death for life, but to exchange religion for relationship. It's a house that is called to go to the infirm and the sick and the weak, not just trying to try to placate Pharisees. And I said this a long, long, long time ago. My day a day of trying to placate religious spirits and Pharisees is over. I'm going to love everybody that comes to me. I'm going to encourage everybody that comes, but I'm I'm, I'm not going to argue with religion because you can't. Religion will argue with you, and they don't even know why they're arguing with you because they don't even know why they believe what they believe. Uh, I, I have people try to fight with me all the time. Just follow me on Facebook. And I don't fight back. I just don't. Why? Because Jesus said in my kingdom, if my kingdom were of or from this world, my servants would fight. And because the kingdom is not of or from this world, I don't fight. I just, I've lost all desire to fight. It's like, well, I want to fight you. Well, you win. <laughs> you already win, man. I, listen, it, the dog has gone out of the fight. I, I've got the, the heart of Jesus. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you. You either... You either can check this stuff out. Jesus is like, you can either follow me or be destroyed. It's like, this is all up to you, but on the journey, we have, we have choices, and the promises that God gives you, those are yes and amen. When God gives you a word about your future, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the journey because this is what blows me away. God shows up in the middle and, and he says something that would absolutely tick every one of us off. Jesus shows up in the middle of a storm. They're out there straining at rowing, wondering what's going on. And he shows up and he says, it is I. Be of good cheer. Be not afraid. He pretty much showed up and said, don't worry, be happy. And you know when you're going through something and someone walks up to you and says, hey, brother, you just need to praise the Lord. You know you want to choke him. I mean, when you're going through a tough situation and someone says, well, stop being a negative Nancy. (laughs) You want to lay hands suddenly, shut up. But Jesus shows up, that's a bad word. Jesus shows up and he's like, don't worry, be happy. It's like we're in a storm. What do you mean be happy? Do not be afraid. Do you know that the message of fear not was the first sermon after the resurrection. Jesus walks through a door. Doors are shut. Windows are shut. Jesus walks through the door, and he says to his disciples, be not afraid. Fear not. Why? You don't have to be afraid because I told you already this stuff was going to happen. I never promised you that your journey would be bump-free. I actually told you that on this journey, there's going to be things you're going to experience, but you're going to be an overcomer because you're going to remember my presence and you're going to remember that my promises 
are true. And if I said you're going to make it, relax. Stop straining. Learn to rest in the middle. See, our struggle is when we take the reins back and we get straining at rowing or we start bailing ourselves out. And that's when God's like, listen, man, if you want to take over, I'll let you. You want to try to figure this all out? I'll let you. But it'd be best because I learned something a long time ago that when I rest, he works. When I work, he rests. That if I will learn how to rest in him and in the middle of a storm, rather than try to strain, just say, okay, God, you got this. I'm going to be diligent, but in the midst of it, I'm going to learn by faith to just relax in him. All of us go through these lessons, and we go through them at times over and over and over again, and it's so easy for us to forget what did God say? What did God promise you? Because your present condition is not an indication of your future potential in Christ Jesus. What you're looking at is not finite. It can change in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Now let me wind this down with this. Am I doing all right today? Hopefully, hopefully you're being encouraged. I think an amazing picture of this is the Apostle Peter. Peter gets a promise from Jesus. If you remember the story, Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And he's talking about those who are crucifying him, but uh, and this is just a Jamieism, okay? So just take this as a Jamieism, so you can take it or leave it. I personally believe that when he was hanging on the cross, as Jesus, the Son of Man, when he said that, there were a couple people specifically on his mind. Judas and Peter. Both Judas and Peter betrayed him. The difference is Judas did not know what he was doing. That's why he hung himself. I mean, someone that was so distraught they'd hang themselves, uh, they're like, my plan didn't go according to plan. All right, now, I personally believe Judas gets a bad rap. I mean, Judas, poor Judas. I believe all Judas was trying to do was trying to force Jesus into manifesting as the Jewish Messiah and kicking some Roman tail. I think he's like, okay, I'm tired of all this love stuff. You know, I'm tired of all this love your neighbor. All right, our Messiah is supposed to come, set us up as the rulers. We're supposed to, as his disciples, 12 sons, rule with him. All right, it's time to kick Caesar's butt. And he's trying to force Jesus into it. And then when Jesus gets taken away and everything happens, he's distraught. He throws the money away. He goes and hangs himself. And the Bible never says he couldn't find a place of forgiveness. It said he couldn't find a place of repentance. Jesus forgave him at the cross. His struggle was he couldn't forgive himself. Couldn't change his own mind. His struggle was an inner struggle. And then he goes and he buys they call it a field of blood, but he goes and he buys a field. And by the way, and this is just something I'll throw out there for you to think about. He buys a field in the Valley of Hinnom, 
Gehenna, the 12 times Jesus, 14, 12 of the 14 times Jesus brings up the word hell, 12 times it's Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, which is a place of judgment in the Old Testament. He buys a field in the Valley of Hinnom, in hell, in Gehenna, and his his bowels open up and it spills all over hell or all over Gehenna. And you got to remember that a couple days before he had taken the blood of the new covenant and the bread of the new covenant and God calls the new covenant to spill out all over hell. Hallelujah. You know, just think about that later. Because God's always about redemption, not punitive. And so here you've got this incredible, incredible picture, but then he's also got to forgive Peter. You see, it's easy to forgive someone that don't know what they're doing, and they hurt you. But he told Peter what he was going to do, and Peter still did it. I mean, it's one thing to forgive someone that knew exactly what they were doing when they hurt you. He tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. I would never do that. And Peter goes and does exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. And Jesus still is forgiving him. That's a, that's a whole other level for me. It's, it's easy to forgive that person that was ignorant. It's like they didn't know any better. They're just ignorant. They're just doing that because they don't, they've been hurt. They've been wounded. They don't understand. But they knew exactly what they were doing. But then Jesus walks through that door. And Peter is there, and he walks up to Peter, and he gives him what we call today a personal prophecy. One of the only, really only a few examples in the New Testament of what we would call like a personal prophetic word. He walks up to Peter, and he says, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He said, yes. He restores him, and then he says this to him. He says, as a young man, you've dressed yourself, you've girded yourself about, but when you are old, another is going to dress you and carry you around. Strange prophecy. You know, he didn't say, you're going to stand before kings and you're going to have millions. And he's like, listen, man, when you get old, someone's going to take care of you. It's like, well, praise the Lord. You know, I mean, that's a strange word. It's like, you know, and when you're young, when you're like 31, it's like, so, you know, because you're, 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 you're there to change the world. You're not thinking of being old when you're in your 30s. It don't hit you. 50, it starts to hit you. I'm not lying to you. You start to think, Lord, have mercy, man. I'm not, I'm not that far away now. Pentecost happens. Peter's the one that stands up and begins to declare Joel chapter 2. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He begins to preach, begins to prophesy. The Jewish system gets angry at him. They throw him in jail, and they tell him, tomorrow you're going to die. And Peter does something that bothered me for years, and I've, I've shared this all over the country. He goes to sleep. Now, now let's be honest. If, if a terrorist busted in here this morning, and he said, I am from ISIS, and demanded all of us lay on our stomachs, they bust in here with some machine guns, and I don't know, we probably got some folks packing in here, might be able to help us, but... I'm home in Texas. But, but let's just say, all right, worst case scenario, we're all laying on the ground, and they said, tomorrow morning, we're going to kill you unless you completely reject Christ. So you, you can leave right now if you reject God, but otherwise, we are going to kill you. You're going to die tomorrow morning. I highly doubt on most of our minds, sleep would be on the agenda. I mean, let's be honest. If someone says, you're dying tomorrow, you probably wouldn't be like, oh, well, praise the Lord. 
I'm going to just rest in Jesus and take a nice long lap. You know, you'd be going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, I mean, you'd get real spiritual. You might not even believe in prophecy, and you'd start saying, thus says the Lord. You might not even believe in tongues, and you'd start ha ta ta and sha ta ta I guarantee you'd find all the God you could find. You'd get real spiritual. I mean, like, really fast. Oh, Jesus. They're going to kill us. Instead, he goes to sleep, sleep. And that bugged me for years. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't. How do you sleep when someone threatens your life? Normally, you're going to be up all night thinking, man, what's going to happen? I've got to, I've got to write stuff to my family. I've got, to, you know, when you're thinking all this stuff you need to do, sleep. But then it dawned on me. Of course, he could go to sleep on the journey, because Jesus said, "When you are old," and he wasn't old yet. See, when God has given you a promise, it doesn't matter what happens in the journey to try to hinder that promise. If God said, well, see, sometimes when we get prophecies, we're missing, we're thinking about this, and we miss the most important part. God actually told him when you are old and he was still young, he could go to sleep in the midst of the journey knowing that you can't kill me. I mean, he bust, you'd know that he busted an MC hammer. You can't touch this. You'd know right there he just knew, you can't kill me because I ain't old yet. And Jesus said when I'm old. That's why he falls into such a deep sleep. Watch this. An angel comes in, wakes him up, and reminds him of the prophecy. This is what the angel says to him. Get up and dress yourself. Because the prophecy was when you're old, someone else is going to dress you. He's reminding him, it ain't time yet. Get up. Peter gets up, dresses himself, manifests the glorified body before the resurrection because he walks through the gates. He walks out of the prison with the angel. He shows up. The church is praying without ceasing. The church is having a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost prayer meeting. Oh, God, deliver our pastor. Oh, God, deliver Apostle Peter. And he knocks on the door. Rhoda answers the door, and she says, who is it? And Peter says, the answer to your prayer. She goes in and she says, hey, everybody, the answer's knocking. And they said, we don't believe it because we ain't done praying yet. That's most of the church. They're still praying for stuff God already freely gave them. They're still begging God for revival when God already revived them. They're begging God for blessings when he's already blessed them. Huh? He's like, man, and let me in. The answers, the answers are knocking. You see, on the journey, his presence never leaves you even though you don't feel it. He shows up in the middle every time, and he says, be of good cheer. You're going to be all right. You got this. Matter of fact, we got this. I've got your side. I've got your back. I'm your shield. I'm your buckler. I'm your rear guard. You're good, man. I got you on this journey. Just trust my presence and trust what I promised. Because on the journey... The ship may sink. On the journey, people on the boat may jump ship. But on the journey, you're going to the other side. And the other side, they came to a place called Gennesaret. And if someone could come play for me, that'd be awesome. Just nice and softly. Thank you. Gennesaret is translated a fruitful field. So God's desire is I want you to get to Bethsaida that was in Gennesaret. Because there's a house of fish that I have already for you. There is some infirm people. There's some weak people. There's some sick people. There's some, there's some lost people. 
on the other side of your storm that are waiting for you to stop straining at rowing and trust that God is going to get you to the other side and on the other side is a fertile field. There's a place of incredible fruitfulness. There's a bunch of people waiting for you to just get moving on your journey because you see, sometimes we get in the middle and we get stuck. We get in the middle and we we stop growing. Some people get out into the middle of their journey and they just stay in the middle for 30 years. Or many get out in the middle and they turn back around and go the other way. It's the children of Israel. They get out in the promised land and they start complaining and they're like, man, that slavery that we had wasn't that bad. God brings them into a place of freedom and they go back to bondage. They're complaining we don't have any garlic out here. It's like, seriously? You got angels' food sent to you every day, Krispy Kreme donuts every morning? Just show up on the ground, read it. It says it was like sugar and honeycomb. That's Krispy Kreme. And they never got sick. Imagine you could eat Krispy Kreme every morning and not get sick. It wasn't one feet. That was heaven on earth right there. Not, not one feeble one among them. Having quail every day. I mean, just, man, God, supernatural provision. And they're like, we, we don't have enough garlic. We're willing to turn around and go back, missing that the point of the journey is for you to keep moving. I, I want to encourage you. I don't know what individually everybody here is going through. But all of us are at different points in our journey. We have choices. We can stop and stay stuck. We can turn around and go back to Egypt. Because let me say this. Once you begin to walk in a certain understanding of truth, once you get a revelation of the new covenant, I'm just here to tell you, once your eyes, listen, once you've taken the red pill, and you've seen the matrix and you've seen the kingdom and you begin to see that the grace of God is bigger than I ever thought that it was to try to go back to religion I mean that's that's what the whole book of Hebrews was written about the whole book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews who were crossing over from an old covenant mentality into a new covenant mentality that's why the writer of Hebrews tells him in Hebrews chapter 6 he says those of you that have tasted of the grace of God and go back. Man, I used to hear that preach. It's like, you backslider. You're going back out into the world. And actually, it wasn't talking about going back out into the world. It was talking about going back under law once you have received grace. And he said, if you do that, there's no more sacrifice for sin. It doesn't mean you're not forgiven. What he's saying is the temple was still functioning at that time and Jews were still bringing temple sacrifices, but there was no power in it because Jesus had made that obsolete and he had dealt with it once and for all. And he said, if you go back and you bring and you bring a dove, it's not going to take care of your sin issue because you've gone back under law. But it amazes me how many people do because I learned this a long time ago. And man, listen, if you don't get anything else out of what I said, if you'll hear this statement, many people prefer secure slavery over scary freedom. Because there's a security in some slavery. People are almost afraid 
of too much freedom. But you have a choice. You see, once you see some stuff, you can't unsee it. You just can't convince me of some stuff because my eyes have been opened. And once your eyes are open, man, I just can't close my eyes to stuff no more. I just can't go back to Egypt. I don't even want to go back to the wilderness. I want to keep pressing into the promised land and all the revelation that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And I want to encourage you individually and I want to encourage you corporately. Just keep moving. Keep on trucking. Keep moving forward. Love everybody that comes around you. But if there's people that don't want to go on the journey with you, just keep on going. Some of my greatest frustration in life is some of my best friends didn't want to go with me where I was going. And there's times that that is frustrating because I want everybody to come with me. Why wouldn't you want to come with me? Why wouldn't you want this freedom, man? What's wrong with you? Some folks maybe just don't want it now. They may in the future. And what's beautiful is I've had some from 10 years ago come back around and say, man, I wish we would have come with you 10 years ago, but we're ready now. I said, come on, man. Come on. You know what's beautiful? I love the story of Gideon. Gideon has 30,000 soldiers. They're ready to go take out their enemy. And God tells them, you've got too many that are with you that aren't really with you. And he says, you've got too many fearful. He said, send all the fearful home. And the people that didn't want to go were... Gideon was going, they went home, and all of a sudden it went from 32,000 down to, I think, like 12,000. I mean, it was like overnight. I mean, imagine, Gideon was on the front page of Charisma. He was on TBN. I mean, Gideon was the man, and all of a sudden, man, I mean, he loses half everything. And then God tells him, you still got too many that are with you that aren't really with you. And he said, now I want you to take them down to the river, and I want you to see how they respond to the flowing of water. And I want you to take them down to where truth is flowing and see how they respond to truth. And it went all the way down to 300. 300 that drank like dogs. Decrease doesn't mean defeat. But this is what's beautiful. After the 300, after the 300, ran the Midianites out. Gideon called back for everybody that went back home that said, come enjoy the spoils. I love that. that. That's the heart of Christ. It's saying, listen, if, if you don't want to go on this journey, that's cool. But guess what? When we finally get to there on our journey, we want you to enjoy all the blessings of it. So you're always welcome. We want you to enjoy all the blessings that we're enjoying, man. Come on. This is fun stuff. People that rejected me called me a heretic 15 years ago in ministry are now having me come back and preach in the churches saying, man, we, we didn't understand what you were talking about back then. You were, you were out at the front of the line and we were in the middle of the line. And we were afraid. But now we've come to a different understanding and we need you to now help us get to there. And I'm like, man, I'd love to. Let's pick up where we left off. Because relationship is more important than dogma. My relationship with you is not on the table. If you choose to walk away from me, man, that's up to you, but I'm not walking away from you. I don't walk away from people. They walk away from me. I made up my mind, I'm going to love you, period. Period. We don't have to agree to be friends. We don't have to agree to be in relationship because a relationship is more important than rules. That's what Jesus taught us all through the new covenant. One commandment, love one another as I have loved you. If we could just get that love thing down. 
you're going to get to the other side. Bow your heads a moment, would you? Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your absolute amazing love for us. Thank you. Lord, I thank you for, for this house. I thank you for the purpose that you placed in the heart and the vision of these leaders and, and that you have placed the exchange smack dab in the middle of this portion of Texas to be something for the kingdom that is unique from what everyone else is doing because if we're doing what everyone else is doing, we're irrelevant. You have a specific design, a specific plan, a specific purpose. I thank you for those that you've knit their hearts to this house. I thank you that there's literally thousands out there waiting for what this house is carrying, waiting for the freedom that is here and and the truth that is manifested and demonstrated here on our journeys. Continue to remind us of your ever-continuing presence and remind us of what you promised us. And we'll bless you for it. In Jesus' name. Stand on your feet just a moment, would you? Put your hand on your heart. Would you do that for just a moment with me? I want you to pray something. Because the kingdom of God is voice activated, there's something about when we hear something that we then open our mouth. Confession is made unto sozo, unto wholeness, completion, healing, deliverance. There's something about when we open our mouth that it releases an authority. So I want you to say this with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for saving me for transforming me. Thank you for the journey that you've had me on. I thank you for everyone who's helped me on this journey and for those that will help me on this journey, those who have partnered with me, those who've encouraged me. I even thank you for my enemies that caused me to grow on my journey. But now help us by the Holy Spirit to always remember your abiding presence that you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. You're a present help in time of trouble. And then use us, flow through us with your amazing love, reminding us of your promises that are yes for us, that you're gonna do what you said regardless of what's going on around us. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to do something. I want you to turn to at least three people and tell them, I'm not going to be stuck in the middle. I'm moving forward to my destination in Jesus' name. Come on, tell them, I'm not going to be stuck in the middle. Wow. Remain standing for just a moment. Okay, you said it, so now you have to live it. You're not going to stay stuck. I remember sitting with Bishop Jamie one time. We were at IHOP, and this was a long time ago. And uh, I asked him a question about something he had said. And he, he said, well, because this and this. And, you know, if you ever sit and hang out with him, he just kind of melts your brain. And it's really annoying. <laughs> he just says things, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait. Okay, say that again slowly. And... Uh, when he finished saying that, I remember saying, I, you know, I just don't agree with that. I just don't. And he said, okay. He said, that's okay. 
He said, that's okay, and, and this and this. And I was like, okay, well, let's just agree to disagree. He's like, yeah, no problem. And so we went on, and about two years later, I was reading a book, and this revelation started happening in me. And I was seeing this revelation, and then I remembered Bishop Jamie saying that already. <laughs> and I remember next time I saw him, I was like, yeah, you remember that one time when I didn't agree with you? I kind of agree with you now. So anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. So... And so I've learned, and and that's what I love about him. And that's one of the reasons I ask him to be an anchor of this church is because it's always been first about relationship. And uh, that's kingdom. That's kingdom. I've thought as a pastor, you know, sometimes it'd be so much easier to go back and, and, you know, live under bondage, blah, 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 and grow a church full of scary people. But it's not what God's called me to do. And uh, like he said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I'm so glad I can't unsee it. I never want to put those shades back on again. Amen. Amen. And we love you guys. Um, please stop by, talk to him. Go by and grab, grab his book if you haven't read that, Myths and Mistranslations. Um, I used to, I bought like 20 copies a, a year ago when it came out or whatever. And I think I've given most of them away, so now you're on your own buying the, you have to buy, you have to buy them now. Uh, my wife has bought, bought some of his uh, jump drives and his sermons, and just listening to that, it's so good to just have that and just grow. And so do that this morning. Also, if you, if you want to, if you will, we're going to give him a love offering, and uh, we just want to bless him. And so if you would... Uh,